Welcome to Community Hope Podcast. We pray that the Word of Christ would dwell in you richly as you listen and that you would be encouraged in Christ. Good morning. Uh, We have a a series that just started last week of, of the fruit of the Spirit, talking about this work of God in, in our lives that just flows out from us as, as uh, followers of Jesus. And Doug started last week with joy. And if you know the list, you'd think that I'd be talking about, I mean, he started last week with love. And if you know the list, you'd think, well, then this week is joy. Uh, so I called Doug and I said, you know, um, I preached on joy and you know restoring our joy back in the Christmas series. I think it was in December. And I said, would you be so kind as to let me switch up? And he said, yeah. So I'm taking peace this week, and then Doug will double back to joy next week and, and give you a fresh take on that. So I wanted to, um, I was just thinking about this story that uh, John O'Hara used to begin his novel, uh, Appointment in Samara. But he talked about, I don't know, I don't know if this is a legend or something like this, but Okay, so there's this merchant in Baghdad, and he sends his servant to the marketplace to get some stuff. And while a servant is in the marketplace, he feels this nudge, and it's this woman, and he turns around, and it's death. And death has got this, like, look on her face, looking right at him, and he's just freaked out by this. So as fast as he can, he heads home, and he said, Master, Master, he said, death you know, accosted me in the marketplace and gave me a threatening look. And he said, I need your fastest horse. He says, I got to get out of town here. Um, And he says, I'm going to go, if I can, get as far as Samara tonight. And so um, the master goes, yeah, yeah, I understand. Gives him his fastest horse, and this guy takes off to get to Samara. And so uh, the master, you know, this, this merchant, he says, you know, i got to find out what's really going on here. So he goes down to the marketplace, and uh, there he sees death. And he goes up to death, and he says, what, what's this here where you're, you know, you know nudging my servant and, and giving him, like, this threatening look? And death goes, no, he's, uh, she says, I, I wasn't, uh, you know, giving a threatening look. I just nudged him because... I, I, it was a look of surprise because I have an appointment with him tonight in Samara. And, uh, you know, if you think about this story, this kind of goes deep into our own thinking and our own consciousness, doesn't it? Because we worry about death and we, we think about the fact that death is inevitable. Um, you know, I, I, I like this little slogan that says, eat right, stay fit, die anyway. You know, I live by that. Um, But it's like death is inevitable for us. We can't avoid it. And deep down on some level, we're all a little bit afraid of it, maybe a lot, you know, apprehensive about it. This world is really all we've known. And so we're worried about dealing with that. And um, it talks about this in Hebrews chapter 2. And this is why we don't naturally have peace. This doesn't come to us automatically. Um, It says there in in chapter 2 of Hebrews, because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. He's talking about Jesus. For only as a human being could he die, and only by dying could he break the power of the devil who had the power of death. 
Only in this way could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. You know, this, this, Satan uses this against us, doesn't he? And I think it's like this. Before Christ came and before we knew Jesus, it's like our attitude or our fear was, when I die, I'm going to run into an enemy. There's going to be, you know, God is going to be there. And he is somebody who is going to hold me to account for all this rebellion and selfishness and evil that I have been responsible for in my life. And it's not going to be good. And so I got somebody that's kind of perhaps going to be very hostile to me. And once I start thinking that, then I also begin to think that while I live, there's no protection for me from all the stuff that's going on in the world and all the reverses and heartache and, and destruction and pain and stuff like this. It's like, if God doesn't like me, if, I, if he's my enemy, then I, you know, I have nothing to keep these things in line in the world, nothing to make them work out. And even the good things that are happening in the world, I begin to fear that um, they're just setting me up for more disappointment later. But I want to tell you this morning that the good news of the gospel is that Jesus has achieved peace for us. And Romans 5, verse 1, says, Therefore, since we've been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. And it talks about this in, uh, in Romans 5, 2. It continues the thought. It says, Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. So it's like the good news is this attitude and this fear is reversible. It has been really reversed because of what Jesus has done and then our clinging to that. And so after Christ, once I come to know him and follow him, when I die, I realize I've got a friend, and I'm going to be meeting up with someone who is not going to be hostile to me, but he's going to be welcoming me and saying, I've been looking forward to this. And then I can double back to while I'm living here, I've actually got a guardian. I mean, this is the best sense of the word, right? I've been chafing with this name for the Cleveland Indians for, for a year here. But this guardian thing is really that he's looking out for us. And so even the bad things that are still part of our living in this world, he's going, I'm working those things out for you. Trust me, this is actually going to redound to your, you know, to your good here. So it's a different thing. That's that peace. In Ephesians 2, Paul talks about this, and he says, talking about Jesus, for he himself is our peace. He's like the living embodiment of this peace that, that we've come into. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who are near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Um, and when Jesus was talking with, to his disciples and he was preparing them for the troubles that were coming, just already the next, that night and the next day, he told them, I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you'll have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. This real peace is, is going to be able to cover over all the troubles that we're going to be uh, potentially facing. This week in chapel, uh, one of my seniors spoke, 
And he began his, his word. He said, you guys all know that last October my sister was murdered by her boyfriend. And then he talked about how he, he got through this. And he talked about how numb he felt initially. But he said, you know, as, the, as days went along, he felt like this push, this little push that was helping him start to move through his life and be able to con continually live. That, he said, you know, that was kind of like that peace that God gives us in the midst of the most terrible things that could happen to us. Uh, and then Jesus says this in John 14. He says, I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. He's going, you know what? The world's going to try to give you peace. And they got, they're doing their best to try to find peace on their own. But he says, my peace is actually something that works. And I was thinking about the th what does the world do when things get tough? You know, when they're experiencing all these sorrows. You know, sometimes all they can come up with is gestures. Take a look at that picture on the left there. You know what that is? It's all the stuff that was left when Princess Diana died. I mean, people didn't know what to do with that situation, did they? So they brought in flowers, and they brought in stuffed animals. And you've probably seen these little memorials where there's traffic accidents, and people bring in these stuffed animals, and they pile them there, and eventually the city's got to come and haul them away, you know? And then there's the, you know, the candlelight vigils, you know, and people light the candles and stuff. And I mean, that stuff's fine, but it doesn't get the job done, does it? It just doesn't give real peace. It's like just these desperate attempts to try to get it somehow. And I think of all the, I mean, think of the, the pot industry right now and how they're just like, you know, pumping the propaganda out there, you know, building up this, this industry, trying to make the big profits off of people. And, and, you know, that's at one extreme. And then at the other extreme, you've got, you know, fentanyl and, and what is it all about? It's like deadening us, deadening us to the troubles, but not really dealing with them, not really solving them, not really achieving the real peace that we need. Um, I, I, was, I remember reading the story about Christine Gauthier. She's a, um, she was in the Canadian military, and in a training exercise, it was a bad accident, and she ended up paraplegic. And in uh, 2015, she actually was on the Canadian Paralympics team. Um, and so at this point, she's been petitioning the government. They're in Canada, or the military, I think it is. Or I think, you know, it's a medical establishment. But he's, she's trying to get a wheelchair lift. And they have national health care there, right? Which means delays, bureaucracy, nothing getting done, you know? And it's just like, what? So she keeps writing them and going like, I need this wheelchair lift, please. You know, I'm entitled to this. Well, just uh, in December, she gets this letter back from them finally. If you're so desperate, madam, we can offer you made medical assistance in dying. I don't know if you're aware of this, but uh, Canada has become the world leader in euthanasia. I mean, they are really gung-ho with like, let's get rid of the old people and sick people and stuff like this. And now they're even going to try to extend it to kids who are under 18. And it's like, is this not the ultimate thing that people try to do to get peace? They're going, well, maybe if I just end it all or something like that. Uh, and then there's just the day-to-day -day stuff. You know, they have a nice day. 
have a nice day. And I, I, no, I appreciate that. That's better than like, get out of here or don't come back, you know, or something like that. But it, you know, it's, that doesn't make the day nicer necessarily or enough to just salvage, you know, the stuff that, that, dig, that, that hurts deeply. So Jesus says, hey, I got a piece that goes way beyond what the world can ever offer you. Now, one more thing about this in Psalm 35. Let them continually say, great is the Lord who delights in blessing his servant with peace. Jesus delights in giving us peace. You know, having said all this right now, though, don't you kind of feel like you're, you think to yourself, at least I do, I go like, you know, this is great, and this is a privilege, and, you know, it's like we've been given this peace, but I don't feel it all the time. And there's a lot of times I don't feel it for a long time, you know, where I'm just going like, man, I got these things that I'm worried about, I'm, I got these fears, and what's going to happen here, and what if there? And it's like, it's, it's almost like it's hard to, to keep the peace going, you know what I'm saying? I mean, I, I think you understand that. And I, this is, I think, something that's going to be real practical for all of us. I believe that we need to put into practice this real peace that we've received. He, this is something that's been given to us. It's like our birthright in Christ. It's like the Holy Spirit is, is giving us this peace and, and, and the Lord delights in it. But we've got to practice this thing and do some things here that we're called to do to maintain. Maybe that's the best way to, to put it. And there's a verse in, uh, there's a section in Philippians 4 that I want to give you five things from. And I want to read it through first. And then I, I would like to just break it down. So Philippians 4, verse 4, I love this section. It says, always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Let everyone see that you are considered in all you do. Remember, the Lord is near. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. We want to experience that peace that's ours. So how do we do it? So first of all, Speak words of life. First part there says, always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. We need to speak the words of truth, which are that we do have peace with God, that things are going to work out. I remember uh, back when my kids, you know, we got five kids, right? And they were, uh, when they were small, we had this one night where we're sitting at the dinner table and everybody is crabbing and whining and it's just like unhappy times in the Fenske house, right? And um, I was thinking, you know what? We've got to do something about this. So I said, you know what we're going to do here? Instead of crabbing and whining, we're going to sing. So I said, and we're going to sing It's a Happy Day. Now, I don't know if you ever heard the song. It's like a kid's song. But it's like, this is the way it goes. It goes, it's a happy day, and I praise God for the weather. And this is in Cleveland, right? It's a happy day, and I'm living it for my Lord. It's a happy day. Things are going to get better. Living each day by the promises in God's word. So we sing the song through, and everybody's still crabbing. They're not happy with this song. 
So, and there, now these are young kids, right? You can coerce your young, I mean, if I do this with my high school students, they go, we're not singing. But, <laughs> but these are, okay, so I said, we're going to sing it again. So we sing it again. Things are a little bit better now, but they're still pretty bad. And so I go, we're going to do, keep doing this thing till we get it, you know? So we sing this through again. By this time, every, people are starting to laugh and stuff, probably at the ludicrousness of doing this, right? But... It, it, this was the deal. And eventually it was like, okay, everybody's kind of cheered up. But what are we doing? We're just really confessing the truth, isn't it? Things are going to get better. We're living each day by the promises in God's word. We're speaking the truth. And a lot of our discouraging words that we speak are really lies, right? Satan's just feeding our emotions. And so we speak all this negativity and we just make ourselves go down. So the first thing I would say is to speak the words of life, you know, speak those truths. And then it says, be gracious. Let everyone see you're considerate in all you do. Remember the Lord is near. That word considerate is like in the NIV, they go, let your gentleness be evident to all. You know, it's a word that talks about just, you know, be cooperative, you know, be friendly. You know, we could just kind of describe it a little bit like that. And you start thinking about this. How many times don't we bring on anxiety and stress into our lives just because we're kind of like want to pursue fights and arguments and stuff like this. I, um, last week, Saturday, this is a picture of uh, WCA, you know, Westside Christian uh, Academy's uh, fifth and sixth grade basketball team. Mark coaches this team, my son Mark, and that's my grandson JJ who's taking that shot from the baseline there in that game. They're, they're the guys in the green uniform. So they were in a tournament uh, last week. And in the, one of the games in the morning, I was at the scores table as the official scorer of this thing. And um, we were playing this other school, not the school in this picture here. And uh, there was a kid on the other team, their point guard, who kept turning the ball over. You know, he kept carrying it, getting called for it, and then we'd get the ball. And the referee came over to the scores table at halftime, and he said, I got to tell you, I, I teach with this guy, Dale Lurkey. Uh, I, I said, uh, he says, this is the weirdest thing. He said, I talked to that kid that ke keeps carrying the ball, just trying to help him out. You know, I said, hey, you got to keep your hand on the top of the ball. You can't, you know, dribble it using the side of the ball like that. And the kid, he said, looked up at me, and he said, I'll do whatever I want to do. Now, this is a fifth grade kid. You know, and I'm thinking, okay, I understand being uncoachable, right? But to make a, an enemy out of the referee, that's just dumb. I mean, the next time down, he got called for the same thing again, you know? But how many times don't we do that, you know? We're just like unwilling to be gentle, to be humble, to just, you know, cooperate. And so we just make life aggravating. And so he says, you know, speak the truth in love, but be, be gracious, you know, the meek inherit the earth because God in, loves that. But the meek also inherit the earth because they get into fewer fist fights, you know. And I think this is uh, something that will just increase that peace. Now, here's the third thing, and I really want to stress this. It, it says here in verse 6, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Pray about everything. Okay, so this I uh, got from Josh McDowell. I heard this thing that he was speaking about called, where he talked about being honest to God. And he talked about the fact that many times we pray phony prayers. 
We pray dishonest prayers. And he gave an example of this. It was, this, it was when he was young and he was playing on a semi-pro basketball team called Athletes in Action. Now, they're part, I think, of Campus Crusade for Christ. These guys are like in, typically in you know, like foreign countries. They're missionaries, but they're excellent basketball players, and they play in, in these leagues, right? So they happened to be in a tournament in Argentina, and they were in the championship game. And uh, so, and they, you know, before the game started, the team got together, and they're Christian guys, right? So they're, they're praying about the game. And their captain prays this prayer. He prays, Lord, thank you for this opportunity to be here. We want to pray that we represent you well in this game and that uh, we have good sportsmanship and that nobody gets hurt. Amen. And so after that, uh, that game, Josh McDowell went up to that captain and he goes, you know, he said, that was kind of a dumb prayer that you prayed. He said, that was, that was a dishonest prayer. And this captain goes like, well, what do you mean? And he said, you know, going into that game, he said, what did you want more than anything else? And he said, I wanted to whomp those guys, which meant, you know, like beat them by at least 20, right? He said, you never prayed for that. He said, that was the honest prayer. And, you know, and Josh McDowell says this. He said, we always leave the stuff, or many times we leave the stuff that we really want in the dark. And so we pray, you know, nice prayers and everything. And it's good to pray for sportsmanship. It's good to pray against any injuries and things like that. But he said, if you're worried about winning, and you are when you're playing in competition, you want to win, it's on your heart. He said, wouldn't it be better to bring that into the light and just put it before God and consult him about that and put it in his hands? See, what we're not bringing to God we got to hold on to it ourselves, don't we? And we got to stew about it and fret about it. But when we bring it into the light like that, then we begin to really, you know, dissipate that worry that we're going through. And so the idea, I think, here is to turn your worries into specific prayers. Now, these prayers might be trivial things. They might be just dumb little things you worry about. I don't know about you, but I don't worry about big issues I typically worry about little stuff that's coming up. And sometimes it is really stupid kind of stuff, but it's there, it's real. And so bring that to the Lord. And then sometimes you find out when you pray honestly like that, you find out, wow, this is a dumb prayer. You know, this isn't really something I should worry about. I mean, my, my prayer is like, Lord, please help the tribe to hold their lead, you know, the guardians, right? To hold their, I mean, it isn't that important really in the long run, is it? But until I bring it into the light, I'm just going to keep worrying about it without even considering that. And it also helps us when we don't get our prayers answered to realize, hey, I gave it to a God who loves me, who's my friend, and he's dealing with it in the best possible way, better than I would even know how. Uh, I'll just give you an example of doing this. I remember when I was uh, had bought this house and I used up every penny that we had. And it happened to be where there was uh, no bus lines near it. And we'd st we just had the one car, but we needed two cars really to make things work. And I was really tapped out of money. And I remember going like, Lord, I need a car. And I started praying for a car and I thought, I got 50 bucks. So I prayed for a $50 car. 
which is really a weird prayer because, <clears throat> you know, anything under 300 is probably not going to run. But so it's sort of outrageous to, uh, to pray like that. But I was praying for that because that's what I had and that was what I was worrying about. And I remember a couple days after I started praying that, the guy who was selling me the house was talking to me and he said, hey, you know anybody that, that could use an old car? And I said, does it still run? And he goes like, yeah. I said, how much are you looking for? He goes, eh, 50 bucks. And I said, great, I, I would love to look at that. Well, this was a beater, I mean, it really was. It looked like it had been painted with a hand brush, you know, I mean, it was so, the radio didn't work, it was just like, it was pretty bad, but it ran. And so I bought that baby for 50 bucks, you know, and I ran that thing for a couple of years. And I remember the muffler fell off, and then I thought, okay, I ran it for a while, I thought, I'm gonna get sighted. So I, I took it to the, the guys who would work on the car, and I said, look it, I need a new muffler, I'll be back after the school day. I came back, and they go, I go like, well, how much did it cost? They go, we didn't do the job. I go like, why not? They said, your frame is totally like rusted out, we couldn't take it up on the lift. And I'm going like, oh man, they said, get rid of this car, it's a menace, you know? And I said, I, I said, okay, so I went home and I thought, I'm gonna come back next week, uh, day when that guy is not working. And the other guy can do it. I need this car, right? So I brought it back the next week and uh, left it off. Yeah, I'll pick it up after school. So I come back, and the guy meets me in the parking lot, and he goes like, get rid of this car. He says, it's, it's just about ready to break in half. And I said, well, that sounds like kind of fun. And he goes like, no, that will kill you, you know? So I drove it real slowly to the junkyard, and um, I got 40 bucks for it. <laughs> it was like a $10 car, you know? But this is like, you know, pray about what you're worried about and put it in the Lord's hands. You know, sometimes he's going like, no, that's, that's foolish. But you put it in his hands, and then you can take it out of your hands where you're going to worry about it incessantly. So to pray honestly. And then it says, tell God what you need and thank him for all he's done. To pray with thanksgiving. And this idea of like, you know, it's like you guys were saying, that attitude of gratitude we were talking about at, at the break. But it's like, yeah, because God is good, right? And so we can thank him. Uh, I just remember uh, something that happened to a colleague of mine. This is many years ago. But uh, she would miss a couple of days of school just about every month. She just wouldn't be there. And uh, she confided to me one time. And she, this was after that kind of series of every month absences stopped. And she said, I gotta tell you the story. She said, you know, ever since I basically was a teenager, I, she said, I have suffered with these terrible, painful, debilitating menstrual cramps. She said, they're just not ordinary. They're just like, I can't, I have to be on a couch the whole day for a couple of days, it's so bad. And she said, I've gone to doctors, I've tried every possible thing and nothing would seem, seem to work. And she said, a couple months ago, I was home with this, and I was reading a book by a guy who stresses being thankful. And this guy's thing is, 1 Thessalonians 5.18 says, give thanks in all circumstances. Uh, this guy's thing is, give thanks even for the bad things, knowing that God is somehow gonna use this. So she said, I decided to take it literally there, and she said, I prayed a prayer like, Lord, I hate these cramps, I hate this pain, but whatever the deal is, thank you. And she said almost immediately, 
she felt a diminishing of the pain. And she said, it wasn't like it went away, but I could get on top of it. You know, it wasn't like it was like crippling me, so to speak. She said, it has not returned. And, you know, I'm not saying every time you give thanks for something bad, it reverses like that. But there is power in, in being thankful, power really for ourselves to realize that's the truth. We can give thanks in all circumstances because God is working these things out for us. And that's really one of the sources and the foundations of our peace. Now, the results of these first four things come up in verse 7. And it says, if you do these things, you know, if you're speaking that truth, if the truth of God and, and, and the words of life, if you're being gentle and, and considerate and gracious, if you are praying honestly and you're giving thanks, he says, then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. So he does not say, if you do those things, you're going to get what you ask. He doesn't promise that. What he does promise us here is that we'll get something that's far better, and that's the peace of God. Because if we got everything we ever asked for, but we didn't have peace of mind, I mean, what good is that, right? Just sit there and stress about all the stuff. We, but if we don't get anything we're asking for, but we have peace of mind, we're just feeling like, yeah, it's good. We're sleeping it well at night, and just, that's the best, isn't it? And he said, you know, we, that peace of God is just like the best, you know, and it passes all, it doesn't make sense. It passes all human understanding. And then he adds one more thing as a little kicker here. And he says, and now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. He's going, we got to screen the inputs to our brain. And, you know, avoid this idea of feeding them things that are just going to make life more difficult. Um, I remember, uh, this was some years ago, but I polled my ethics classes and I go like, would you list the top three fears that you have? I said, do this anonymously and I'll read these to the class. You know, we'll take a look at what a wide variety of things we got. This one year, I got a whole bunch of students, and mostly female students, who said, well, one of my biggest fears is that I'm going to go out to my car, and there's going to be a guy hiding underneath my car, and he's going to slash my Achilles tendon with a razor. Who, who thinks about stuff like that? I mean, the only people I worry about under my car are people stealing my catalytic converter. You know what I mean? But here, um, and I thought, what is the deal? Well, I found out there was a movie that was out that was current at that time, that these people had all seen, and it planted this fear in their mind. And I'm thinking, how many times are we careless with the stuff that we use for our entertainment? You know, the, the horror kind of stuff, you know? It's like that time of gross parental malpractice when my daughter Sarah was three, and it was late at night, and she's going, and uh, Jaws 2 was on. And can I stay up and watch this? And I'm going, yeah, sure. You know? <laughs> terrible, you know, and she's watching like this, and, you know, after that, we couldn't get her to take a bath. I'm going, there's no sharks here. This is fresh water. They can't survive it. Didn't make any difference, you know, and, and it's terrible. Don't be like me, um, 
But you get what I'm saying here. And I think what we have done in our culture, we have this access to Internet 24 hours a day, don't we? Because of our, our smartphones. And these things are just like poison. I mean, you think about it, and you think about the, how many, I, I just think about the irresponsibility of parents who are they're giving these kids this access when they're young and stuff, and it wreaks havoc. And you think about all the, like, negative news that just depresses us, and you think about the rage that's there, and the, you know, the, the sites that are just devoted to, like, eating disorders and encouraging that, and the self-harm websites and the porn that rots people's brains from the inside out, the 100,000 suicide websites, many of them that encourage it and show ways to do it. And you think of the, the gender confusion websites that just encourage that stuff and have been linked now to the rise in, in this phenomenon in our culture. And then just the envy where people put out the public relations uh, version of their lives and cause us to be unhappy. And I'm thinking we've got to get this thing under control. We've got to deal with this stuff. Our brains are like computers that just take in this stuff here. If we're going to practice the peace of God, we've got to screen our screens. And finally, it says here in, in the last part of the Philippians 4 part, he says, keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing. Then the God of peace will be with you. Many times in the Bible, our God is referred to as the God of peace. And he is the God of peace who's, who's earned that, who's caused it to come into being. And he has given that to us as a privilege and a gift as his people. And so I, we need to practice this, to walk in this. And then this peace, I believe, is something that the people of the world who are so desperate for it are going to see. It'll be just like tangible to them as we live our lives among them and something that they too will, will be able to access as they deal with us. So let's pray about that. Lord, I just want to thank you for the peace that passes all human understanding that you've given us that can guard our hearts and our minds. And I pray, Lord, that you just speak to us about some things that we can do, some changes that uh, we can make, just ways that we can just access better uh, the, this privilege you've given us and keep from walking away from that. And once again, we just thank you, Lord Jesus, for making this possible. We pray in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Community of Hope, go to www.cohchurch.com. God bless you today.